Well, hello and welcome to the first Balderton Capital podcast of the year. First podcast of 2016. No one can take that record away from you. Matt Robinson, founder of GoCardless, now has left GoCardless because he's starting his next big thing. Hello, Matt. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's going very well. How are you? When you started your career, you were at McKinsey for a couple of years and obviously took quite a leap, quite a risk, many would say, in leaving McKinsey to start GoCardless. What was it? within you that uh, drove you, I guess, to make that decision? What were the factors? How did it, how did it all come about? So for, for us, and that's myself and Hiroki, I think it was just something we'd always wanted to do. Um, and I actually think it's one of the few smart decisions we've made along the way, was <laughs> that I think we both realized pretty early on that this only gets harder. Starting a business only gets harder because, um, one, you have more responsibilities, um, so you have more things kind of pulling you back to your job. You, you, you get paid more, et cetera, et cetera, over time. It, it only becomes harder to do. I think we were smart enough to know that at the point of having been at McKinsey for two years, we were in a good place to actually step off and give something a run and, and actually go for it. Uh, I think also for me, I'd always wanted to start and run businesses. I'd had a business at school um, and considered not actually going to university. And I ended up going to university because I thought it would... Uh, equip me better to actually build something of the scale that I wanted to achieve and the same when I left uni I wanted to start something but I had the opportunity to go to McKinsey so really for me it was always all those things were what I was doing in the meantime before I started a business. Uh, so it was always an inevitability that you were going to become an entrepreneur? Yeah I think so I think the, the, one of the funniest or, I remember my first conversation with Roki when we met was at the McKinsey joiners dinner and the argument we had was whether you should have co-founders um, <laughs> did so does that mean that one of you thought that you shouldn't have co-founders yeah it did uh sadly that was me <laughs> pr- proven wrong it's the only time Hiroki's ever been right um but the, and I think the difference was and this is quite an important point the, the kind of business I was thinking about was one that I was equipped to run on my own I could cover everything myself um and therefore I think that's fine to have a single co-founder but as businesses get more complex and require more skill sets, particularly as you get into the technology industry where you might need, for instance, a B2B sales company, you need strong tech, you also need strong sales, strong operations, et cetera, et cetera. That's where you start to need two, maybe even three people. Um, so he didn't really win. He just, <laughs> he just picked the right Have idea. you got a co-founder this time around? Yeah, I do. So I've got two guys. And that was something that actually, that frankly, he was right. There's a ton of value in it um, in a few different ways. One is to cover the span of the business. I think you want experts in every area um just one really obvious example if you're going to try and build a great team which i think you have to when you're a small company when you're smaller than everyone else you've got less resources than everyone else the fundamental is you have to be better if you're going to get those great people in every area i think it takes a talent to recognize a talent so for instance if you're a great ceo but you're poor technically how are you going to build a great tech team i don't think you're going to be able to so if there's any first time entrepreneurs listening to this podcast would your advice now be get co-founders Absolutely. And as I said, I think there's two areas. I think one is if you're building a tech startup and you're non-technical, tech is clearly going to be at the core of what you do. You can't outsource that. You can't bring in some guy and tell him what to do. You actually need someone who genuinely gets that and is able to do that. And then the second one is this is such a hard journey. It's long, right? At the beginning, everybody says, yeah, yeah, I know, I know it's long, I know it's long. But five years in, you realize how long it actually is. And when I look back to Go Cardless, when I look back at the things that I cared about, the things I cared about were one impact, what we were achieving. The second one was learning. Um, and the third one was enjoyment. And when I look back at those three things, the biggest driver of all of those was Hiroki, frankly. Um, he's the person who we achieved the most together. 
Um, he's the person I enjoy working with the most, and frankly, he's the person I learn from the most. And, and I think the truth, the, the same is true for him. That is a that is a ringing endorsement, a ringing endorsement of Hiroki. And the point you made earlier on is about technical co-founders. I hear it from so many entrepreneurs that when young entrepreneurs ask them a question, usually, I'm a non-technical guy. Do I try and employ a CTO or do I bring in a technical co-founder? Are you definitely in the camp that says find someone technical to co-found your business with? I think there's always exceptions. There's always ways of doing things. So it really de depends on the context. But if you're looking to build a company where tech is at the core of what you do and it's critical to why you're going to beat the competition, then it, it seems pretty important to me that you have one great people in there and two people that are that that's interests are long-term tied to the company um, because a great product is not built in three six twelve months right uh, a great product takes as long as a great business to build uh, you look at Facebook they've got legions of developers and yet the product barely changes day by day right that's how hard it is to maintain and build a product over time um, that doesn't happen from a small outsourced tech team so you guys had that at go cardless in your in your own endorsement a great team a great co-founding team Fairly early on in your journey, you found yourself at Y Combinator, at YC, the, you know, many people's holy grail when they're, when they're founding a company. Lots of people talk about YC, but only a few, uh, a coterie of founders have actually done it. What is it like? What is your uh, one, I guess, uh, memory that sticks with you from the YC experience? There's something that pops to mind, but I don't think I can, I can actually say that. Um, no, look, it's fantastic. I think YC is unbelievable. I'd recommend it to anyone, particularly now with all the, the PR and et cetera around it. However, fundamentally, the more interesting question is what, what do you think of incubators and why is YC better than everyone else on that? Um, I think there's a few things that incubators can bring or accelerators can bring, um, and I just think they've got it nailed on every, on every axis. So the first of those, frankly, is, and it sounds a bit crude, but it's money. Um, what access to capital do they give you? And the, the stats with YC are ridiculous. Even on our batch a few years back, it was something like 90, more than 90% of companies raised over a million dollars within three months of doing YC. If you compare that to any cohort of startups anywhere in the world, that's just absurd. The second thing is the network, which obviously is just only getting better and stronger over time. But even then, it gave us access to people that we would not have otherwise been able to get access to, both in terms of suppliers. So just dumb stuff. You start a business, servers is quite a big cost if you've got no money. And actually, via there, suddenly AWS is taken care of for a significant amount of time. And that's a one tiny thing, but there's thousands of examples that are similar. Or if you, you know, there's almost an argument to say nowadays you could get onto YC to start a business for YC companies is, is the, the best way to start a successful new company because you've got a captive audience there that are all going to listen to you. And then the, the third one really is the advice, um, which was fantastic. Sam Altman actually then was only a part-time partner, but we just found him amazingly helpful. And the same with Paul Graham. Um, having those guys who have seen this so many times, and it, there is a lot of pattern matching, and when they've seen hundreds of companies at your stage doing exactly what you do, it's sad to say, but businesses are quite cookie-cutter. There are so many similarities across them. They can just see, like, okay, well, 70 guys tried it this way. They failed. The 10 guys who succeeded tried it this way. This is probably the way to do it. And you chat to those guys, and they can very easily make a call. So, in fact, here's a, you asked me right at the beginning for memories from YC. One of them is when we went to speak to PG, and we had linear growth, we weren't getting where we wanted, and he basically said, look, guys, and at the time, it was myself, Tom, who was TTO, Harry, who's a fantastic back-end developer, and Hiroki, who was doing all our front-end. And he said, look, guys, you, the, 
there's no point writing another line of code. You've got the product to a point where it's fine. That's not blocker on, on getting new customers. You need to go out and really like prime the pump as much as possible. See if you can get those users, if you can acquire them effectively. And if not, why not? And literally, we stopped, switched off all development that day, and we all had to start cold calling for like the next two weeks. And it's one of the best things we ever did as a company. Like everyone hated it um, to the extent that Hiroki, I remember one night, came to me and he was kind of like wouldn't leave my room late at night. And I was like, dude, come on, man. It's like 1 a.m. We've got to be up at like, and we, we, would, we were in the US and I mean, to call people in the UK. So the time difference was out. So it's like, look, we've got to get up at 6 a.m. or whatever to make our day work and make our calls and all this stuff. And Hiroki's face is like, look, mate, I don't want to go to bed because I know that as soon as I shut my eyes and go to sleep, the first thing I've got to do in the morning is cold calling. So I just want to stay awake for as long as possible. And like, we hated it, but it was the right thing for us to do. We went out, we called thousands of these guys that we thought were our users and we thought had a burning pain and we thought we, would, we could acquire. And very quickly we learned that it wasn't a burning pain. They were super fragmented, fairly untechnical, and basically that our business was only ever going to have a linear growth rate because we, we weren't focused on the right problem or the right people. So even though it wasn't a natural thing for you guys to do, it was the right thing to do and you did it as the result of good advice from, from YC. And those three, uh, I guess, golden rules that you've highlighted, do the companies raise money? Is there a great network? And do they give good advice? Would you, I guess, recommend those to any entrepreneur looking uh, to go into a, to an accelerator or incubator? Yeah, I think so. There's like a, a ton of these guys have sprung up everywhere and God knows what you're getting with each. I just look at the numbers, right? Ask them how many, how many of your companies raise and how much within X of, of closing, and that's quite a simple differentiator. Um, the other things are harder to uh, actually quantify, I suppose. Quantify, yeah. But that one's a really obvious one. And then also, look, what are the success stories you've had out of your thing? And when you look at YC, when you look at Dropbox, when you look at Airbnb, when you look at Zenefits, et cetera, et cetera, it's very clear that there are great companies going there and something's happening. So that's the most important metric. Take a look at the amount of money they raise, the success levels of the companies coming out of the pipe. Seems like, a, seems like a logical step. So after you guys did YC, obviously came back to the UK, continued growth, seemed to you know, be doing very well. You've also hit this wave of fintech in the UK. Go Cardless seemed to be one of the poster, poster boys, or Hiroki seems to be a poster boy of, of the fintech movement in London, right? Yeah, it's um, like something that's photo taken. <laughs> Hey, don't we all? Don't we all? Let's have a little photo opportunity after this. Um, but you were fintech before fintech was cool, it seems, before fintech was even a, a term a term in its own right. Yeah, I, I think that's more luck than judgment. No brilliant hindsight or foresight, or sorry, foresight on our side. <laughs> but did it help, this whole cause, uh, phenomenon of London being under the fintech magnifying glass? And uh, it seems lots of journalists, lots of... Uh, event hosts are, are, are looking at fintech. Did that help in, in, in any way? I, I don't basically know. However, I would look at it, I'd look at it the other way around. I think that's the wrong way around to look at it. I look at it like, how did this thing spring up? And what I actually think is there are a ton of fundamentals or fundamental, you know, uh, things that underpin why fintech has taken off in London, right? You've got the talent, you've got the industries, you've got the people that are experiencing these problems and thinking in this particular way. So there's quite a natural effect. And then you get this nice kind of loop where once you start to get a couple of success stories other people start to see that right it's the same way that after everyone saw facebook suddenly you had a ton of social networks spring up so we had these fundamental things that those companies were always going to happen you've got people at mckinsey working in financial institutions you've got people at goldman all of these places smart guys come across problems they want to solve they want to do something more but they can have more impactful 
and then there's kind of like a loop from there. And I think that's probably the way around that it happens. Um, I'm not a big believer in these, like the trend comes and then everyone like follows it. I think there's generally a reason for it to happen in the first place. And there's lots of PR and all that stuff around it. But you look at the success stories, you look at TransferWise, you look at Funding Circle, you look at, you look at GoCardless and other guys. The reason those companies are successful has maybe been amplified by PR in some aspects, particularly transfer-wises. Um, <laughs> and that's not criticism. Those guys are unbelievably good at it, and I only wish that I could be so so good myself. Um, but the real reason is there's a fun, there are rock-solid fundamentals to those businesses, right? They're, they're, sol they're solving a burning pain. They've identified exactly who has that pain. They've figured out what they're using today and, and why they should be using them instead. Um, and then they found a way to acquire them scalably. And if you've got those fundamentals in place, then you've got a business. Um, it doesn't really matter whether there are, you know, guys in newspapers wanting to write about you or not. It really matters what your customers think about you. It's about the business fundamentals at the end of the day, and you guys, GoCardless, seem to have that in uh, in in barrel loads. And then uh, last year, you took the decision to step away from the co-founding team and take a board position, but step away from the business to start a new one. That is quite a big call. That is quite an interesting decision to make, to step away from a business that you uh, co-founded. What were... What were the things inside you, I guess, that told you that was the right the right thing to do and the right moment? So, I, you know what? It's a fantastic business. I love it. I'm still massively involved. So it's, there's an irony that the first thing everyone says to me is like, "Oh, when did you when did you leave GoCardless?" And whenever that question gets asked, I'll probably have just got off a phone call or a board meeting <laughs> or something there. So, it's still super involved actually, and, and that's worked out really well. But I think it's just the fact that you only have so many years on this planet to to do stuff, and it became clear to me that actually it was time to step away and, and start something new. And in that business, frankly, we, we always had a super deep management team. Hiroki's fantastic. We've got guys behind him like Gray and Harry are super talented. Um, and it just became clear to me that, you know what, I didn't need to be there every day to get that to where it's going. Um, and actually there's an opportunity to step away and do something new and really take a proper run at it this time. Is there anything you've learned from the first founding experience at GoCardless that you are taking immediately as a learning into the next into the next business? Yeah. Whether it's to do with raising funding or whatever it is. So I, I think there's a few interesting ways of looking at this. One is there's like this muscle memory thing, which is just you've, you've done this before and you kind of just know how to do it again and you can just get it done. Um, and that's one aspect of it. And there's so many silly things that took a day or a week last time out because you didn't know how to do it and you had to figure it out that you just know this time and it's just done. So so that's a nice thing. But then there's the question of, okay, well, what are you going to do the same or what are you going to do differently? And the what are you going to do differently? There's one big thing. Um, and I think this is actually holds really true for Tom, who was another co-founder at GoCardless, who stepped away to start Mondo, which seems to be doing fantastically well. And he took exactly the same lesson, which was we did a really good job of building a fantastic, strong, young, smart technical team, you know, of all really smart guys. The downside of that was that we basically had to figure everything out from scratch ourselves. And it meant that when we did it, like we did everything really well, but it took us a lot longer than it should have done. And as I said, there are a lot of things across businesses that, that are cookie cutter. And I think both myself and Tom now starting our new ventures are planning on doing exactly the same thing, which is going and finding great people as early as possible. Um, and ideally great people who've done it before so Phil who's joined co-founder CTO in this business was CTO at Sunkick for four or five years like that was my big thing when I was looking for my CTO I was like look I want a great second time CTO because I can see how frankly how bad I was when I started GoCardless <laughs> and how much less bad I was by the time that 
kind of I was I was stepping away from it. And it's not two X, it's not three X, it's like a hundred X. So it felt like a fool's a, a foolish move to not get the same in the rest of the team around me. So that's. I suppose uh, an interesting learning from your point of view, because you've done it once, it's easier to do again. It's easier to miss out certain potentially errors of first time around. But what advice could would you give to a first time entrepreneur that doesn't have that muscle memory or first hand experience from your experience of doing it once and now looking to go again? The biggest thing for me, I think, is that you need to be open and talk to people. One of the things we definitely did wrong last time out, and I talked to a lot of guys starting out again now and advise a lot of guys starting out now and the biggest error I see with those guys is that when things aren't going as well as you want and we were particularly bad at this you suddenly kind of disappear off the face of the planet and it's because you're a little bit embarrassed and you're not you know you haven't got to where you want to and you're a guy who probably has been relatively successful in the past and never really been confronted by failure and you don't want to have to go to people and go like you know what things really aren't working we don't know what the hell's going wrong and we don't know how to fix it it's kind of embarrassing so you get into the bunker and you get your heads together and try and figure it out. But the reality is that you will waste months on end. And there's someone who's probably had that pro- exact same problem before or been in that exact same situation and can just say, hey, look, this is the problem. This is the way. Like, they can't tell you what the answer is, but they can probably tell you how to get the answer. This is how you get the answer. Go do it. Um, and just, like, basically realizing that. Realizing when you're not being as productive as you, you could be, you're not getting where you want to be, you're a little bit stuck, pick up the phone. And, and that's one of the values for us in this company is, you know, realize when you're not getting, making as much progress. And, as and who do you pick up the phone to? Is that advisors and mentors that you've surrounded yourself with? It, it, honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's the person who has the answer. So really dumb example. When we started Go Cardless, we brought some interns in and one of these guys, really smart guy, he's doing really well, really successful now. We sent him off to start some business cards and he went on the website and he was on there for like an hour figuring out all the options, writing everything down, how much each one would cost, what the options were, how you could do this. Came back three hours later, told us the options, and it was like, okay, well, how much do they actually cost? Because you've got ranges like, oh, I don't know. And it's like, well, are they actually available? I don't know. Well, just go call them. He called them within 30 seconds. Actually, these three styles are out. The only one you can do is this, and this is how much it costs. And it was like, well, actually, yay, nay, right? You can make a decision in seconds. And it was a quick learning that you can do a ton of thinking and a ton of mucking around in the background, but ultimately... You just need to go to them and ask the question, find out. Um, Pick up the phone. Exactly. And it was a, a really, an even better example possibly is when Tom joined. Heroics and I had just stepped out of McKinsey, you know, probably too prone to blue sky thinking and big ideas and all of that stuff. And we, <laughs> we needed to get a banking deal in place. That was the big thing we needed to solve for. So it's like, okay, how are we going to do this? Who could we talk to? Blah, 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 blah. And in the time that we'd started this conversation, I turn around and Tom has literally Googled, you know, RBS Backs team, dialed the number on his phone. And the reason I turn around is to hear someone say, can you put me through to the Backs team, please, right? That was the way to find out. Pick up the phone, talk to the guy who knows the answer, find out what the problem you're facing is and fix it. Whereas there's this temptation to sit in a room and try and spend however long philosophizing and theorizing. Get stuck in. (laughs) <laughs> to some extent, yeah. Uh, I like boiling it down to, uh, <laughs> to to three monosyllables. Thank you very much. I think we've got some fantastic advice here for first-time entrepreneurs and for second-time entrepreneurs too. Best of luck in your next venture, and I hope 2016 is great for you. Cool. Thanks, dude. Thank you.